On January 6th, 2021, our colleague Caitlin Kim went to work at the U.S. Capitol for what she thought was going to be a long day of debates over the certification of the presidential election. And of course, it was a really long day, but not for the reasons she expected. The U.S. Capitol building has been locked down because protesters have stormed the chamber. Some of them made it as close to the Senate chamber doors. Those do that chamber was locked down. Senators locked A year later, the Capitol breach remains an open wound for the country and the Colorado lawmakers who went through it. This is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny. In a special episode, CPR's Washington reporter Caitlin Kim looks back at January 6th and how the events of that day have reverberated for the members of the delegation who were in the Capitol. When dawn broke over Washington the morning of January 6th, Everyone at the Capitol thought they knew what was going to happen in the building that day, including me. Democratic Representative Diana DeGette says usually certification is, well, it's sort of a routine thing. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the law... Of course, there were ways this was never going to be a routine certification. Republicans in both the House and Senate were planning on objecting, kicking off debates in each chamber, and protesters were expected outside the building. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's With all of the challenges that Donald Trump was making, um, I frequently preside over tough issues. And I thought that the speaker might need my help. Because of social distancing, she was seated in the gallery. Think of it like balcony seating that rings the House floor. That's also where the media sits. I was on the opposite side of the room from her as debate got underway. DeGette was sitting behind fellow Colorado Jason Crow and Florida's Val Demings. And some of us jokingly looked at Jason and Val, both former military and, and law enforcement, and we said, well, you guys might have to protect us. And everybody was laughing. Shortly after debate began on Arizona's count, she started getting texts from worried family and friends. DeGette doesn't have social media on her phone, so she had to hear about what was happening outside from the lawmakers around her and she couldn't believe it. Somebody said there's cl somebody climbing the wall outside, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. And then somebody said, there's people in, the, in Statuary Hall right outside the House chambers. And I thought, well, that's, that's ridiculous too. I left the House chamber a little after 2 p.m. I could hear the commotion outside and thought it was strange as I looked out a window that the crowds weren't behind the barriers. As I walked across the Capitol to the Senate side, I could hear the protesters banging on the doors of the rotunda. I remember asking the Capitol Police officer who was also leaning down the stairwell to the doors if they were going to get in. He said he didn't know. I got my answer shortly after I returned to my desk. Back in the chamber, the House was gaveling out of session. Without objection, the chair declares the House in recess pursuant to Clause 12B of Rule 1. DeGette recalls security running around unlocking doors, telling lawmakers, staff, and the press to get down behind the seats and get out of escape hoods in case of smoke or gas. She didn't don her escape mask, but the hum it makes is a sound she still associates with the day. So here we are laying there, and the chaplain's praying, um, pounding is getting louder, and some of us were yelling, don't forget us, because here we were still in the gallery, and, and pretty soon we could hear people starting to pound on the doors of the gallery. I was just very much in um, 
Uh, you know, I kind of called it ranger mode at the time. Nearby, Crow was doing what he could to help his fellow lawmakers. I wasn't really allowing myself to kind of process or think about it. I was just triaging the information and trying to, to figure out our way out. Because mm -hmm. at that moment, uh, we were trapped and, and, uh, and surrounded by a violent mob. A famous photo of him from that moment shows Crow holding the hand of a panicked-looking Representative Susan Wilde of Pennsylvania. On the floor below, Representative Joe Nagoose, who was tapped to help lead the arguments for the Democrats that day, spent those chaotic minutes reaching out to his young family. I had texted my wife, um, you know, to tell her that I loved her and our daughter, and that I, that I you know, was sure everything would be fine, and, and just to, to kind of reassure her. And everybody was, it was a very tense moment. Back at my desk, I was seeing emails from fellow Hill reporters saying protesters were outside the respective chambers. Even though I was a floor above them, I could hear the rioters chanting and banging on doors. As the threat became clear, I took my phone and laptop and ducked into a nearby recording booth, locked the metal door, and turned out the light. If I had known what was going on, I would have been much more uh, concerned and, and, and fearful. Senator John Hickenlooper, who had been sworn in three days earlier, didn't get his first real look at the situation until he and other senators were evacuated to a secure location and the TVs were turned on. I still thought that, you know, a protest might get a little out of hand, but people wouldn't break into the United States Senate and, and wouldn't be threatening to kill the vice president. With Pence and lawmakers hidden away and staff and reporters like me hiding in rooms, the rioters took their anger out on the people who were visible, the law enforcement protecting everyone in the building. That's something Senator Michael Bennett has a tough time reconciling a year later. There were police officers in our capital in tears because of the racist statements, that the epithets that were thrown at them. There were police officers who had served this country in uniform, in addition to the uniform they were wearing on that day, who were called traitors by the people that were attacking the Capitol. And there are members of Congress who now say this was like tourist visiting. The violence of that day is still raw for Crow, too. It was when his two worlds collided his past serving in war zones, and his present in Congress. And I never thought in a million years that I would see both of those worlds come together for me personally. Because it's been, you know, prior to January 6th, it had been many years since I'd seen that type of violence. Uh, and it was a life that I thought I had left behind me in so many ways. All members of the Colorado delegation have praised law enforcement that responded that day. And all, except for Republican Lauren Boebert, voted for the bill that would award congressional gold medals to the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police who responded to the insurrection. In some of the darkest moments of the lockdown that day, Crow felt like they had actually reached a turning point, one for the better. I remember very clearly all of us sitting in that, that secured room waiting for the Capitol to be cleared, uh, coming together and talking about how um, this was enough. We can't allow this to happen again. There was a sense of solidarity. There was a sense that, um, you know, that shock to the system and to us individually would help us chart a new course. But there was also plenty of anger and recriminations. Reports that day of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle blaming those who had objected to the election certification for the political rhetoric that fanned the anger that was unleashed on the Capitol that day. 
It was evening by the time the Capitol was secured, and lawmakers announced they intended to finish the certification. I decided to stay. I wanted to see how the afternoon had affected them. I remember how tired and shaken the senators and Congress members looked as they returned to their respective chambers to finish the work. For Deguse, that was one of his defining memories of the day. He spoke on the floor when the House returned. It's been a long day for our country, a long day for our republic. Let us dispense with this. Let's do the right thing. Let's honor our oath. Let's certify the results, and let's get back to the work. He admits he was shocked when some Republicans ignored that plea and continued their objections. You know, you, you could still see the Capitol was, was in ruins. You had, you know, you'd, you had uh, furniture and all kinds of destruction. I had hoped that more of my colleagues uh, would rise to the occasion and recognize, given everything that had happened, that it was time to put partisanship aside and do what was best for the country, which was to certify the election results. Um, and, and many did. And I, I applaud them for that. And I uh, am grateful for that. But yes, I was shocked that so many did the opposite. Boebert and El Paso Republican Doug Lamborn both voted to object. Their colleague Ken Buck did not, saying the Constitution was clear about Congress's role, just to count the electors. I remember seeing Buck and Boebert on the floor shortly before the lockdown and tried to get their view of the day, but neither agreed to be interviewed for this story. This is what Buck told CPR News the following day. And it was a, a crime. It should be prosecuted, but it is not a coup. And any member of Congress has suggested where it's a coup is, is using the kind of rhetoric that we need to stop using. At Boebert's end-of-year press conference, CPR's Stina Sieg tried to ask her about the legacy of the insurrection. So it's been almost a year since the insurgent attack on the Capitol. And <laughs> Go ahead. Is the, is the funny part that it's been almost a year? No, the funny part is is how you're classifying it. So, oh, yes. How would you rather classify it? Um, That's fine. Just, uh, whatever you just go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Her answer involved turning the blame to Democrats for conspiracy theories regarding Trump and Russia and defending her decision to object to the certification because some states changed how they ran elections due to the pandemic. When it comes to what happened last January 6th, Crow, for one, is clear on his definitions. These were insurrectionists, they were rioters, they were people out for, for blood and, and were trying to undermine our democracy. There was a protest earlier that day. That's not what occurred at the U.S. Capitol later that afternoon. And this goes to the heart of the problem of that day, how January 6th is viewed not just a year later and not just by Democrats and Republicans, but the big picture question. Was it a turning point for the nation or was it a breaking point? Senator Bennett has thought a lot about democracy over the past year. On January 6th, he wondered how other countries like Russia and China would capitalize on the invasion of the capital to point out the failings of democracy, and more importantly, how it would affect others who see America as a beacon of hope. All the people in the world who live in corrupt societies, who live in violent societies, who live in tyrannous societies, for whom the United States stands as a model that something can actually be better, that there's something out there that human beings can aspire to. And I worried a lot that people would lose hope as a result of what happened here. But he's also surprised at how some Republicans, since that day, have played down what happened. It's really hard to work with people who brought this mob on the Capitol knowing completely that this was a big lie. 
But he also closed his remarks that night by saying it was a privilege to work with the senators in the room. I think there are Republicans and Democrats who went through this together who have forged a closer bond because we believe in the Constitution. We believe in the democracy. We don't, all of us don't believe we were sent here just to create as many Twitter followers as we can, just to raise as much money as we can, just to foment as much division in the country as we can. There are some people like that here, and it's very hard to work with them. But for others, you know, I think that it's actually built opportunities. Still, Nagus feels things have gotten more tense on the House side in the past year. Politics were already vitriolic when he was elected in 2018. In some ways, he thinks it's just accelerated. You have members saying terrible, awful things about each other. And, uh, you know, I think engaging in behavior that just is not, uh, uh, you know, becoming of, of serving in, you know, the United States House of Representatives. He fears lawmakers and the public have come to see people with different views as enemies. And we're, we're going to have to figure out a way to to listen uh, to each other and, and to understand each other. It's a conundrum, something all the lawmakers I spoke with mentioned. How do we improve our political discourse? Crow thinks everyone needs to get past political labels and get out of echo chambers. Put down the, the Twitter feed, put down their Facebook, turn off cable news, and, and reach out to somebody. And reach out to somebody that maybe you don't agree with mm-hmm. and have a conversation. And to get ads, the media has not helped elevate the discourse. Because the press is focusing on these very few members who are saying outrageous things to get attention, and then it just, it, it, it just is a vicious cycle that continues. And so, so I'm sort of on a crusade right now to talk to the press about covering legislation. Because in the end, she says, that's what most people in Congress are there to do. Another legacy of January 6th has been trauma and the need to help those who experienced the worst of that day. More than 140 law enforcement officers were injured fighting with rioters, and the event led to several deaths. Hundreds of staffers, service workers, and reporters were also caught inside as rioters ransacked the Capitol. This is something Crow has been focused on, wanting to make sure no one who was in the building that day gets overlooked and that all get the help they need. You can't ever move on when there's something of this significance, right? At an individual level, on a family level, at an institutional level as a, as a Congress, mm-hmm. but also as a country. He knows this firsthand. There was a night this past year when the House had to stay in D.C. longer than anticipated, and his daughter chose to skip a video call with him that extra evening. When he got home, he asked her why she didn't want to talk with him. You know, why didn't you want to Zoom with Daddy? What was going on? And she said, uh, I... I was afraid because now every time you don't come home when you're supposed to, I think there's something wrong. And I said, um, is that because of what happened in January? And, and she said, yes. So we obviously have some things that we need to work through. Deget can relate. She was at the Capitol on another harrowing day, September 11th. Last year's breach of the Capitol brought back some scary memories for her family. I wasn't traumatized by it. I was just like focused on getting out of there. But my kids, who are now grown adults, it was almost like PTSD for them. And so I think that on January 6th, I'll make sure to 
really be with my kids and making sure that they're okay. All the Colorado members of Congress I spoke with say, in the end, the important thing is that democracy won out on January 6th. That's the message Nagu says he'll share with his daughter when she asks him about that day. Our country has been tested on numerous occasions. We had a civil war. But we've always, at the end of the day, rose to the occasion. And I think that that, to me, is the lesson on January 6th. But the other lesson they and the country were reminded of is that democracy is fragile. That was CPR's D.C. reporter, Caitlin Kim, looking back on a day that will likely stand out in U.S. history for decades to come, depending on who you ask. Lynn, I want to get your thoughts about like how people were talking about those events in the immediate aftermath, those first couple days after the events, versus now, a, a year later. Has it changed? You know, I think yes is the simple answer. And you can see that in the way that they are celebrating the anniversary. Um, A lot of Democrats are here to remember it. They're taking part in the events for the day that are here. But, you know, there are not a lot of Republicans expected to take part in it. Um, The House Hmm. is not in session. Republican leadership isn't here. A lot of the Republican senators who are here are going to a memorial service. So they're not going to actually be part of this, um, part of what's going on. Um, and, And I think that sort of shows how political January 6th has gotten. You know, hmm. whenever you have like a big sort of shocking event like this, like the 9-11, I think is probably the most recent one in a lot of our memories, or even like a tornado or sort of a wildfire, right? Like mm-hmm. the communities come together. They don't sort of take political sides. You're not seeing that with this. And I think that shows to how political January 6th has gotten for a host of reasons, including the fact that a lot of Republicans believe lies about the outcome of the election, the 2020 election still. Yeah, it seems like you're not seeing a lot of Republican agreement about just how infamous this day was. Exactly. Well, what are you hearing from the delegation about, like you said, how political the day has become? You know, uh, Senator John Hickenlooper talked about this a bit, and he, you know, he thinks for the most part a lot of Republican senators don't agree with what happened on January 6th and and are, are stunned by it. But There is a reluctance to speak out because, you know, of political expediency, to put it bluntly. Do they stay in a job that they like, that they think they can make a difference in, or do they speak out and potentially bring upon them the wrath of of Donald Trump? Liz Cheney, uh, I think, is a great example of, of what happens to a Republican who has spoken out. I mean, like, Cheney is not by any means a rhino. She is a conservative Western Republican and has been all her life. But because she spoke out uh, about what happened on January 6th and Trump's role on it, she's basically been ostracized by the Republican Party. And I think what um, what Senator Hickenlooper was saying is I think that is sort of a warning of what not to do. <laughs> like if you speak out, then what happened to Liz Cheney could happen hmm. to you. You know, I talked to a lot of voters. There was a surge of Republican voters leaving the party right after January 6th. Uh, Some were disappointed that the party hadn't stopped the certification of the election. A lot were disgusted by what they saw on television. But it does seem like a year later, those voices of dissent are a lot quieter and a lot fewer and farther between. Let's wrap up by talking about one of the direct outcomes of January 6th. That's Trump's second impeachment trial. Democrats in Colorado's delegation also played a role in that. 
What are they saying about that effort now? Do they think they accomplished anything? Obviously, Trump was not ultimately removed from office or barred from running for office again. Right. And and I think, you know, just to remind everybody, uh, there were two members of the Colorado delegation that were part of the impeachment team, um, Diana DeGette and Joe Neguse. And I think you know, I, I did ask them about this and how how working on the impeachment um, affected their view of that day. And I think both of them would say that, like, going through the video seeing what happened and and just getting the testimony of that day it just it showed to them how much danger people really were in i think for the most part like they think they succeeded in potentially preventing donald trump from running from office again because they think they laid out a strong case about his involvement in what led people to breach the Capitol. Yeah. I'm not sure I would necessarily agree with them, just given how popular Trump remains and the fact that he still has so much control over the grassroots of the party. But I guess we're all going to find out in 2024. Yeah, that'll be something to watch also in 2022. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn, for your reporting and your reflections on the events of January 6th. That is it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Caitlin Kim. We'll be back in your podcast feeds shortly with the start of the legislative session. Oh boy, if you're not subscribed, be sure to do so so you don't miss it. And until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.